And good morning, everyone. This is Sustainable Short Takes. I'm JJ Walsh in Hiroshima, and today I have two co-hosts. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, usually, me and Tova are doing this walk. We have a special guest, James Hollow, today. Thank you so much for joining, James. You want to quickly introduce yourself? Thanks very much, JJ. Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is James Hollow. I'm the CEO of Fabric,、uh, based here in Tokyo. Tova, you wanna go? Fantastic. Yep. Hi, and I'm Tova Kinoka.、Um, I'm based in Yokohama, just outside Tokyo. So we are three people in two in Tokyo, and me in Hiroshima, all kind of focused on sustainability in the kind of consulting work. And different advising roles that we have, and today we are talking about some news points and interesting innovation and books in the last ten minutes. So please stick around. It's only thirty minutes. We got a lot to cover. Tova, you want to start with your、uh, news about Starbucks? Yeah. Okay. So.、Um... Starbucks have,、uh, at the end of last year, opened their first what they're calling greener store、um, in Tokyo, and、um, it's got some. Oh, it's very beautiful to look at, as you can see there、um, from the you know pictures that JJ is showing. But it's aimed at、um, reducing waste. So the idea is that it generates forty percent less waste, thirty percent less carbon emissions, and consumes. Twenty percent less water than other Starbucks locations in Japan,、um, and Starbucks as an organization has been、um, doing a lot actually on their、um, sustainability footprint, their targets,、um, and the idea is they want to reduce、uh, carbon emissions, water usage, landfill waste by fifty percent into to an,、uh, by twenty thirty. So this is looking towards that. Um, and they've got all kinds of interesting、uh, things they're trying out in this store. So, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows that you know you can take along your your own、um, uh, cup, tumbler, whatever you want to call it, to Starbucks and get it refilled. But there are always those days that you forget it, or you you know you've got your water in that and you want a,、uh, a hot coffee or something. So they've got this tumbler return system, so that you can actually just borrow one from there, take your Drink away and then bring it back later.、Um, they've got things like、uh, the floor tiles are made from、um, coffee grounds and things like this. So it's it's the the system that they're using, but also the、um, the actual structure of the place as well has really been thought through very carefully、um, to reduce waste and water usage and, and carbon emissions. So. Very interesting to see how popular that will be, how much people will engage、um, with the sustainability aspects of it. So I'm looking forward to visiting that soon. Yeah, it looks great. I love the high ceilings, the use of natural light, the big windows, all the wood, as well as all the ideas、um, that they're bringing to the forefront to kind of make it a flagship,、uh, great.、Uh, Example of what they want Starbucks to look like in the future. That's absolutely.、Awesome. And the picture you're showing just there, the the the、um, the pieces hanging down,、um, the the artwork there is、uh, sort of made from repurposed,、uh, I think, fabric from、uh, clothing, from jeans and and、uh, fishing nets and things like this. So they they've been really creative in the approach they've taken here. Tova, wow, that's great. No, do, yeah. Do you know if the prices are kind of aligned with the the standard? Sort of Starbucks store prices, or is there a bit of a premium 
as far as I know, they're standard. Um, so I haven't had the chance to actually go there yet. Um, but there was no mention of them charging anything different to their standard Starbucks store. So um, as far as I know, it's, it's the same. It's really interesting whether consumers are prepared to pay a green premium. Right. Um, we start, you know, it's something that we do a lot in our work and looking at looking at the sort of price and value propositions. You, you see that a little bit with Patagonia when you mm -hmm. factor in how much effort they put into um, their sourcing and their repairs and the, that whole side of things. Yeah. Um, you can look at it, you know, what is a pricey uh, price point for a jacket as actually pretty good value. Um, but it's it would be great to see a leader like Starbucks sort of show um, show that kind of model. I was reading recently yeah. about true yeah. true pricing, where all the if if you genuinely bring in all the externalities um, and internalize them into a business, and then reflect the price in the cost, how much would that be for a price of, for for a cup of coffee? And it, I think some work yeah. done in Europe said it would be like an extra euro. So actually, not well, necessarily yeah. something that Japan Japanese probably pay some kind of premium like that already, and maybe it's something that. Um, more people would be prepared to pay. Right. Well, one other nice feature that I know Starbucks Japan has just changed to is the plant-based milks. They used yes. to charge a little bit extra for plant-based milk, and now it's the same price okay. as, as normal milk. So um, that kind of links to your idea about the premium mm -hmm. pricing for green. I mean, we, we are, if it's organic, we're willing to pay a bit more. Uh, we know it's better quality, but having consumers that understand why you should pay more for more sustainable products is is part of the educating the consumer hurdle, right? Very much so. Very I think Starbucks are one of the one one of if not the world's biggest distributor of milk. Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. you know you've got the coffee, which you know they work quite a lot on, and, and is quite you know in people's minds these days for sustainable supply chain but then obviously working on the store and you know the amount of plastic and stuff that gets mm. um you know used only once but then actually milk has a massive footprint associated with it and so you know i think um lots of brands having to work pretty hard on on the um the, particularly greenhouse gas emissions with dairy yeah. right and also other land use issues yeah yeah, very much. And I'm I'm glad to see vegan options now, vegan vegetarian options now in Starbucks Japan. For a long time, it was nothing, you know, <laughs> not even things. Uh, this kind of connected to our my news for Hiroshima, broken by Get Hiroshima, which my husband and I started. Yay! <laughs> a new Muji flagship store is coming to Hiroshima, and this is a really big deal. We don't have like zero-waste shops um, like you might see around Tokyo, where you can take your own container and refill from by weight by the bulk bins. So this is the first big brand to do this in Japan, and it'll be a nice big store uh, in Hiroshima, a really nice big store. Um, they also have detergents, so you can refill your own containers. I was so jealous when I visited California and I talked to uh, Recycle Center in Recology, and he was saying he's used the same laundry detergent for container for 10 years. <laughs> and I was like, I wish we could do that in Japan. We just can't yet. And they're also selling houses and giving ideas about sustainable remodels as well as sustainable housing, okay. which is exciting. Um, they also are taking old clothes and, and uh, other things uh, that you can recycle, old books, CDs, and DVDs. It doesn't have to be Muji brand, which until now has been. Mm -hmm. um, they're also going to be a, a sponsor, well, a, a source for MyMizu if you're using the MyMizu app. 
as you can refill your own water bottles. And uh, yeah, lots of great ideas. So that's exciting to see. Fantastic. Now that's a huge step forward. And I, I think, um, you know, the, the refillable containers in Europe, that's fairly common. And it sounds as though in the US as well, certainly in particular areas, you know, that there's a lot of that available. Um, but it's something we haven't seen much here. Um, and it requires you know, quite a mindset shift on the part of the customer. So it's interesting, James, you were talking before about, you know, whether people are willing to to pay a premium for, uh, you know, a green product. Um, here, you've got not just paying, um, well, it's not about paying a premium, it's actually the, the inconvenience, if you like, of having to take along your own um, packaging and, you know, remember to take your your bottles to refill and things like that. But if we can get people to make that mindset shift, then the, the impact can really be quite considerable. So it's great to see that happening. Exactly. No, that sort of it's like increasing inconvenience as, as a price people are willing to pay for yeah. feeling a lot better about their their consumption. And I think this is something it feels like a very natural brand extension for Muji. And you almost think, well, yeah, no, you know, at last, you know, it's the sort of Muji have had a really strong you know, brand that's, mm. that sort of feels sustainable. I know they've, you know, they've been working on some stuff in that area for a long time, but it, at the same time, I did feel like it's about time some of these um, Japanese retailers actually make yeah. some bolder steps. You know, Uniqlo have done some work around their supply chain, around plastics recently, et cetera, but really, you know, no one really showing the way. Mm. Um, so it's great, you know, the two examples that have just been shared, it'd be great if they can then, you know, really put pressure on the competition to step up and absolutely, yeah, added to the all of their um, yeah. their networks. I think connected to the price point uh, idea too is a lot of people complain about I want to try the zero waste bulk food idea, but why is it more expensive than buying the right. the one with the container that I just throw away after? Mm -hmm. So that that whole concept of well, it might be better quality. There has to be a reason that the people are going to go through the hassle of bringing their own container, right? It has to be higher quality, uh, longer shelf life, healthier products, something like that, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, the research we've done would, would suggest that less than 10% of people would be the ones who'd be, you know, who'd care enough to bring their own tupper. Um, now that might, you know, that's changing relatively fast, but it's a, it's a minority unless you build in those other um, benefits um, like quality or health benefits with it, with it, or maybe some some loyalty scheme, additional points, things like that that can uh, sort of uh, appeal to a, a bigger chunk of their customer base. Very much so, and I and think the Muji. whole, um, yeah. you know, sort of really making using media here, you know, the social media particularly, um, the the influence that can have if you get sort of social media influencers out there talking about this, uh, you know, taking their own containers along and refilling. That again, I think, particularly with the the younger generation, has a huge. Um, potential to impact. So um, it would be great to see Muji perhaps working with some influencers in Japan to, to get the, the message out there, make it cool, you know, like, let people know what's happening and, and really um, sort of tap into that side of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, James, your news update is about uh, targeting the commercial side of the fossil fuel industry about uh, targeting the media and how the media is promoting 
or the new wokeness or the kind of false narrative yeah. of the fossil fuel industry. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. Just, I mean, so the fossil fossil free media and, and groups like them are basically tar targeting often through legal means and legal actions um companies which are associated with with big negative impacts so, so let's talk about big oil for instance um and they've been trying to put pressure through legal means or through eroding the social license to operate in in um, countries like the us and in europe and i think you know in my mind the sort of um theory of change that that is going to be a really a really key lever that that sort of social license to operate and it's often you know trying to shame the executives who are probably you know gray-haired white guys who have children who are maybe more progressive and liberal minded and and sort of almost shaming them into taking action um i think also there's if you look at um there's been a lot of trying to shame let's say come um the bill and melinda gates foundation for instance ha have had quite big holdings in um emitting companies which are responsible for large emissions and they've defended that by saying well this gives us a way in and leverage to talk to them um and i think that's that's pretty much i think washed you know that's been a, that's been a solid argument i mean i'm not completely okay with that but i think what's just happened and this is the news the news story is that they've basically been um targeting edelman which is a the world's biggest independent um PR agency who've been working with Exxon and other um, fossil fuel companies for many years and has helped them become such a big successful company. Um, and now this these groups are targeting them saying, um, basically, you, you're, you've been helping to greenwash. Um, and this is really, you know, I come from um, marketing communications in a, in a previous world. And that's been a very, um, Edelman's had such a clean brand, such a strong brand. And so this is a real sort of quite quite a an interesting um turn of events and they've been forced to defend themselves and their defense is well actually we um we haven't been telling any lies um and we feel that it's better to be working with these you know i.e the same argument that that these um fund the, the these foundations have had and so the activists have turned around and said yeah we understand your argument but how long have you been working with them and what has actually changed not right. enough right um and so basically that means that everyone who works for edelman um is now thinking mm, yeah i used to think this was a really good company but now i'm not so sure whether i should feel so good about working here and that's a big problem for that employer all of a sudden and they're having to come out and defend themselves and what's interesting and this is linked to japan um they, they've got a whole list um, WPP, when the first company I ever worked for, is is really high on that, and actually the Dentsu Group as well, which is obviously headquartered mm -hmm. in Tokyo, one of the world's biggest sort of marketing conglomerates, um, and they represent lots of you know these big fossil um, business models, and so I'm thinking it, you know, this is an important mechanism in the in the West, if I could say that, in Europe and the US, to sort of challenge that social license to erode their business model. So they can't get access to those those creative talents it's going to really hurt them now i wonder how quickly that sort of effect might happen in japan where there's probably less of a activist mindset but there's actually a much tighter labor market mm -hmm. um, and often the people working in that area have a lot they might be bilingual and they have lots of choices about where they want to work and so i i see you know one of the levers that is going to really help shift things in japan is actually um bra employer brand choice 
um, with this really tight, tight labor market that we have, despite the relatively sort of, um, let's say, weaker sort of activist mindset. Um, yeah, what do you that think? is such an important point. And I think Tova and I have touched on this before, yeah. how impressed we are when we go to a hotel or a business and you ask any staff any question about their sustainability or their, their policy about operations and every staff knows it. Right. Having your employees who are invested mm. in the company mission, especially if it's ethical or sustainable and having your employees proud of where they work. That's massive. Yeah. That's a great way to improve your brand. Right. Very much so. We were talking to um, a client last year, actually, um, a sort of luxury brand um, group in Japan and they were saying um, that the director of HR was telling us that when they're interviewing younger people now to come and work in the organization, he said 90% of them will be asking in the interview, what are you doing on sustainability and not what are you doing at a global level? What does it say on the website that looks and sounds wonderful, but you know, really doesn't impact very far. Um, but uh, you know, what are you doing here in Japan, and how does that connect into the operations you have here? Um, so I think this it really is a very very relevant question, and it relates to the article you're just showing now, um, which was from last year in, in HBR. But sort of again connecting into this this say do gap. Um, you know, a lot of companies, well, you know, the vast majority of global organizations now and listed companies are doing fairly in-depth ESG reporting, sustainability reporting, which is fantastic. But when you look back at since this all started, sustainability reporting, you know, sort of 10, 15, 20 years ago, very little has changed. Emissions have still gone up. You know, uh, the damage is still continuing to happen. So if this is being measured, why is it not reducing here? So there's still that gap between, you know, companies saying, well, right, we've ticked that box, we've done our sustainability report, we've we've said we've got targets, but unless they're actually taking action that will start to reduce the, the damage they're doing both socially and environmentally, they're gonna get called out on this. Um, and I think the media is an incredibly powerful force in that. Um, so, you know, relates very much to what you were talking about as well, James. Yeah, and exactly. It's all interconnected. I think what in the end, Richard Edelman came out and said, well, we've actually done an investigation. We found we haven't erred in terms of facts, but we have actually his words were what we found, though, was a lack of context. Mm. And what he's talking about there is is basically, let's say, Exxon uh, buying some, let's say, um, com startup company that's using algae to create um, ammonia, which right. can then be used as a as a kind of clean biofuel, but and then they do a great campaign about that and kind of, you know, essentially make it look like that's a big part of their story. Whereas actually, it's still zero point one percent of their their business. Right, <laughs> and that's you know, so this is a, a dilemma that we you know we face in the in 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 communications and consulting, where it's like you you, you need to help these companies who are trying to shift. Yeah. Um, by highlighting the, the the steps towards that, but then you, if you do too good a job at that, you give people the the, the wrong impression. Yeah. Um, that 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 is a big part of what they do, and that's you know that does amount to greenwashing. And I think, um, I think that's what this this, this is coming to. And similarly mm -hmm. to your you know, your point, um, action needs to be showed, but it also the context is 
at what proportion yeah. to actually other actions like doubling down on your you know the old the old model the emit the yeah. extractive model mm-hmm. um and that's a, something that i think is really part of the next phase of of corporate communications and telling mm-hmm. stories about brands is trying to build in that context to the stories or in in some way and i don't think it's been solved yet yeah yeah no i totally agree my my mom knows i'm a collector of mugs and she sent this to me and this is a great example uh, of how fossil fuel companies are are trying to brand as if they are great promoters of heritage and culture especially with the indigenous cultures and then if you think about it you're like that's just so wrong because the indigenous groups are probably the most damaged mm. by their activities you know it's like when you see the chicken yakitori place and the happy chicken holding a butcher's <laughs> knife you know like it, there's a real clash there <laughs> with what you're showing me and what the reality is like let's think about how we are you know communicating to our potential customers here. yeah yeah and i think people are getting a little bit more savvy about this now you know the the fact that media is out there and stories can break in you know minutes and spread like wildfire across the world um you know before they might have got away with this a little bit more easily but i think nowadays you know people can find out quickly actually what what is happening under the surface and this can you know this information gets out there so quickly that they they cannot afford to be you know blindly <laughs> sort of telling little stories that seem wonderful on the surface but uh, don't have any substance underneath yeah, absolutely. And this brings me to my book recommendation, which I think we need a bit more time to talk about our books. Mm-hmm. Um, but connected to the same idea, this is an amazing journalistic project uh, started by uh, Ian, I've, I've forgotten his name, Ur- Urbana. And he started this, The Outlaw Ocean. He wrote a book. He did all these journalist uh, amazing adventures out on the open seas. And it's not only about sustainability in terms of the environment. It's very much about sustainability in terms of people and human justice. And there's so much that nobody is watching. Um, out on the seas. And so I've ordered this book, really excited to get it. It also, part of this project, he's uh, funding loads of journalists to keep investigating all these great stories that really need more awareness. Um, They're doing collaborations with musicians, putting together some of the clips from the videos as part of the music that's being made around the world. Really interesting project. Really excited to be able to talk to Ian Urbana as well in the talk show next next month sometime. So stay tuned for that. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, James, you want to talk about your book? Sure. Thanks for sharing. Uh, that one looks really interesting, JJ. I'm looking forward to that. It's, it, as you say, it's, it's something that we haven't really incorporated into our, our thinking here in Japan, where I think um, life under the ocean is in the top five of things Japan needs to shift. Um, Japan, obviously, one of the biggest consumers of, of um, fish and um, has lots of destructive effects but i don't think it's really filtered through into the the kind of uh the, the social the, the mindset in J- japanese right. society yet. so mm. it'd be great to get some of those stories told here 
Yeah, we know that around Japan has a, the, one of the highest percentages of plastic in the in the waters around Japan in all of the world. Really? And Japan is a huge consumer of plastics. So from an environmental perspective, it's huge problem from Japan and around Japan with fishing industry. But he also covers about shipping and about um, the use of slave labor. And uh, there's no one really policing. And there's there's so many variety of amazing topics that you would never expect coming out of this book. So I'm really excited to dive in. Looking forward to that one. Yeah. yeah you know, the... Is it available in Japanese as well, Joy? Um, I ordered it in English, but uh, on the website, it's got a variety of languages. Mm. I, I'd be surprised if it's not in Japanese. I'll check on Yeah, them. it'd be great to see it available in Japanese as well. James, you want to introduce sure. your book? Yeah, so actually, um, when Tova um, told us just before that she was going to be talking about fungi, I couldn't resist but slip in The Hidden Half of Nature, which isn't a new book, um, but I caught up and read it over the um, Christmas New Year break. And um, it's basically the, the hidden half is, is microbes, um, bacteria, mainly bacteria, but they would include um, fungi. So I'll leave that bit for you, Tova. Um, <laughs> But it's one thing that really opened my eyes to is just the importance of, of bacteria to the, hu the human health, which is obviously very, very topical at the moment. Um, and just how important actually the, the bacteria in our guts are to our immunity. Um, and so they, the, the authors are a married couple called David Montgomery and um, Anne Bickley. He's um, a geologist, she's a biologist. And they basically um, embed this, these really, this really educational content in a life story about them moving to a new house in Seattle, transforming their garden, um, and at the same time, Anne getting cancer and having to basically change her, her lifestyle to be more healthy, particularly through diet. Um, and it turns out that they, they basically link this story really nicely together through the importance of bacteria. And um, they show how basically um, food, which is really healthy and nutritionally dense, comes from soil, which is thriving with life, mainly microbial. Um, and this they go into this beautiful symbiosis between plants, bacteria and mycorrhizal fungi. Um, that's this basically the, the source of the nutrients that we eat either directly when we eat vegetables um, or indirectly when the things that we eat, eat the vegetables and the plants, I, you know, great grazing animals. So um, that was a real, you know, really interesting to read. But then also this idea that they did this beautiful sort of analogy where they said the roots, if you can imagine it, our guts are kind of like the inverse of the roots of a tree because the, the roots of a tree surround themselves and actually feed bacteria in order to promote them and and and, and give them um, help them thrive, because they then go out and work with the mycorrhizal fungi to bring nutrients to that to them, which they use then to grow and thrive. And we do the same in our gut, just inside. We we actually feed bacteria in our gut through through um, we release basically food for them um, and the good ones, and that keeps the bad ones and other um, uh, threats to our immunity. Um, out basically outside of our system um it just really made me sort of aware of just actually how much we we are yet to to yeah. understand scientifically or incorporate <laughs> into our into our lifestyle in terms of sort of knowledge um and there's this kind of 
Isn't that true? Yeah. yeah and uh, it, it feeds into a lot of what organic farmers always say about the importance of soil and doing composting and feeding back into soil. And it's, it's all part of a, a healthy vegetable, but also our healthy lifestyle is very dependent on that health of the soil as well. Tova, your book was also connected to the soil and fungus, fungi, entangled life. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so this is a book by um, Merlin Sheldrake. I think it was released last year. Um, he is a fairly young um, biologist working. Uh, he's graduated from Cambridge. He's now um, working overseas in um, sort of institutions in South America um, and digging through the undergrowth, looking into to fungi there. And anyone who knows me would probably be laughing at my choice of book, actually, because um, I actually don't like eating mushrooms, fungi. I, I really dislike them. I always have, much to my parents' um, horror, because they love them. Um, and, you know, I've always known that I, I studied them as part of my biology degree as well. Mycology was, you know, a fairly significant part of that. So I know, you know, understand that they're incredibly important, as James was describing, they're, they're all around us. They have this symbiotic relationship um, with the plants and the animals and, and with us as well, um, and are very, very important as part of that ecosystem. Um, but this book is, uh, it really digs into, to, to look at the, the details of that and actually how much, just as you were saying, James, we don't know yet. Um, you know, there are thousands, tens of thousands of species of, of fungi, um, many different classes of them as well. There are the, you know, the, the mushrooms that we see, which are the, the fruiting bodies of them. There are the molds, there are, you know, lichens, which are a sort of another um, part of it again. Um, but they said around, uh, we only know probably around 10% of these species at the moment. So there's a huge amount out there. Um, and just thinking about, you know, particularly in the, this current um, pandemic situation, you know, how dependent we are on them for things like, you know, penicillin, of course, coming from mold. And um, there, are, there are so many things out there that we, we don't know yet. We don't understand how they work or we just haven't discovered them yet because so many of them are deep under the soil and very, very tiny. So we don't actually um, know that they exist yet, but the potential out there is enormous. And so keeping healthy soils, ensuring that we've got, you know, good biodiversity, good agricultural practices and so on, and that we are allowing space for these things to, to you know, we, we're not crushing them and putting concrete over the top of everything is actually really, really um, important for our own health as a species moving forward. Now, I haven't actually got very deeply into this yet. You can see I'm only just a, a short way in. So I'm very much it sounds fascinating. It, it though, is. Right? You can tell us more when yeah. you read more later on. Follow isn't up. It yes. Isn't it true yeah. that I think we, you know, most cons as consumers, we're kind of taught that our job is to kill microbes like yeah. bacteria and fungi. Right, and exactly. They're the bad guys. They're the bad guys. It's the whole antibacterial movement, right? <laughs> which yeah. is, exactly, which is, you know, and th actually that this book kind of plots that history of how, mm. you know, the, it got into our the, the, the mindset of society that these were basically bacteria pretty much all bad. And it's pretty much the opposite, that they're pretty much all good. And there's just a few bad ones. And I think, you know, I've certainly had the, the antifungal anti spray going in the bathroom here before, <laughs> which, you know, makes you... Which, basically blinds you to the fact of, of the dependencies that we're talking right. about and I wonder if you know there could be a, a new wave of 
um, food products or medicines or health products that actually based on, you know, bacteria or different strain, strains of them and, and health foods, probiotics, you know, probiotics. Well, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Fermented and, foods. Or, or cleaners, cleaners that don't kill the good bacteria, right? right? Mm. Or medicines that don't kill antibiotics that don't kill the good bacteria. That could be the next wave forward. That is our 30 minutes, okay. guys. We're going to have to wait, uh, round it up here. Uh, just an announcement. Please save the date for March 21st. And we are very excited that James's business uh, fabric is also going to be involved in some way, hopefully. Um, that is an all-day event in Tokyo and in Hiroshima on March 21st, which is a national holiday. Um, this week, coming up in the talk show, we have Alex K.T. Martin. This Thursday, he's talking about the Japanese wolf and his articles in the Japan Times, uh, talking with people who are trying to discover whether there are any wolves left in Japan and talking about why uh, they, were, they became extinct. Really interesting. On Friday, uh, talking with Inside Japan Tours, Rob Moran, talking about sustainable travel and the future of more sustainable options for travel in Japan. Hopefully when borders open sometime later this year, next year, we, we are not sure, but we're looking forward to it. So thank you so much, Tova and James. And uh, James, please join us again someday. That was great. I'd love to. It's been, a, it's, it's been a riot. Thanks, guys. Great way to start the week. <laughs> thank you oh, wonderful thank you so much thanks everyone for joining and uh, see you again next week we'll announce on social media when we decide the day and time right Toba? Yep. yep hopefully announcing that soon all right everyone have a great day have a great week see you next time thank you bye bye, bye. Are you near? Pick up your phone, dear. I've searched for hours, but you're nowhere. I found the note beside your care bear. Won't you see? Won't you see? I'll take your pain, just let me through. Don't worry, baby, I love you. Don't be afraid to tell me the truth. Drop the armor, now I'm bolder.